Hello, and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly. We're taking you inside this year's best contenders for the industry's biggest awards. I'm Shana Naomi Crockmall, Digital Director at EW. I'm joined again by my co-host, EW's Awardist columnist, David Canfield. Hey, Hello. Hi, David. And we also have with us EW Assistant Features Editor, Mary Solosi. Hi. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mary. Thank you for having me. We're, I love having you here. I'm so happy you. you're here. It's great to have you. You love film so much. I you were do. at Sundance this year, this past yes. year, so you really saw the very beginning of yes. some of these. Um, and EW's indie queen. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Great to have you. Um, this podcast is part of our comprehensive awards coverage in the magazine, online at EW.com, where you can often see Mary's byline on indie and other film-related stories. Last time on the podcast, we talked about the SAG Award nominations. Um, David gave his comprehensive take on where the race for the Oscars stands. We also Fearless. talked. <laughs> <laughs> we also talked with the star of the Two Popes, Jonathan Price, and uh, Best Supporting Actor SAG nominee for Just Mercy, Jamie Foxx. This week, we're going to kind of give our, our last predictions for the Golden Globes. Talk a little bit about uh, how a holiday release might impact awards chances. And David and Mary spoke to Little Women's writer director Greta Gerwig, and we will hear that interview as well. That choice, that being an agent in your own life is so uh, rare in, in fiction of that time and I think enabled women to see themselves as not, not beings that are acted upon but actors themselves in their own lives. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring that out. A lovely interview. A lovely. Uh, welcome both of you. Let's let's just jump right in. So Golden Globes, we are we are finally almost there. Sunday, January fifth. Um, big nomination, some surprises, some snubs. We've talked about that before. I think we we lamented at some length the uh, super frustrating, unbearable maleness and whiteness of the mm. categories and the nominations in almost all the categories, but particularly on the film side. Uh, we saw a lot from Marriage Story nominations, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman. We went through TV predictions. Um, you know, I think we're going to see, we'll have, there'll be some starry moments in terms of like Tom Hanks is getting the Cecil B. DeMille Award, mm -hmm. Ellen DeGeneres is getting the Carol Burnett Award. So that's what we have, some of what we have to expect from the ceremony itself. But let's talk about what do we want to see from Ricky Gervais as a host? Any, any sort of dreams, wishes? <sighs> Less bad jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would that would be cool. Better jokes. Yeah, better jokes. More singing and dancing always. Yeah. I really just always want the Globes to be like a giant musical number, like from top to bottom. If the entire thing could basically be a musical number, yeah. I would not be mad. That would be fine. Right. I just I want it to be like a party, like yeah. it's like someplace you want to be. Right. I think Ricky Gervais is best when he sort of facilitates the drunkenness of the Globes. Yeah, that's what we're all. That's Which we're no all one watching needs for. that much help to facilitate, but. but he's like. <laughs> he really leans into it in yeah. a way that can be very funny. Yeah, um, you definitely don't want like a chaperone as the Golden Globes host. No, no, that's true. I mean, everyone's sitting with their cast at tables. We'll see some table hopping, I guess, from some of the double nominees who who may have more than one um, group of folks that they want to sit at or near. Yes. There's always drinking. <laughs> always a little more rambunctious. Um, let's talk about who, I would like to hear from each of you, who do you think should win 
and who will win. We've spent a lot of time going through some of these categories, but I think we've each staked out one or like a, an actor or actress or supporting categories that we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. David, do you want to start? Sure. Um, well, let's start with maybe the supporting categories okay. before we get into the, the lead actors. Sure. Um, well, Best Supporting Actor we've talked about a lot as sort of Brad Pitt's um, year. And I just cannot imagine this particular group not voting. So that's they who love you think a star. will They win. love a star. Yeah. They love that Brad and Jen are both going to be there. I mean, don't we Jen all? on the TV side. <laughs> don't for the we all love show. that? Uh, we do. And it's very likely that both will win yeah. on the TV side. Um, Brad is like a movie star's movie star, right? So yes. I, he's great in the movie. I think particularly oh, yeah. for the HFPA, is that sweet spot. Yeah, so I think he will win. Um, I am in love with Joe Pesci and the Irishman. It okay. is such an against type performance. He do, is not campaigning at all. Then again, neither is Brad Pitt. Um, and he's so understated and kind of heartbreaking at the end that I would love to see him pull through. Uh, so that would be my should win. Okay. And then. And what about for the ladies? <laughs> supporting actress. Um, I, we also said very clearly last week that Jennifer Lopez, or last episode, that Jennifer Lopez is going to win for Hustlers. Mm -hmm. I mean. The Golden Globes love a star. Yeah. You can't get bigger than J-Lo. She will be the biggest star in the room. She will be the biggest Hands star down. in the room. Hands down. Yes. That's uh, who you think will win. And like, I mean, I would love for her to win. Yeah. I kind of want her to win. So this Imagine is a will and a accepting a Golden Globe. This is a will and should. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually think it's a really strong category. Margot Robbie's great in Bombshell. Annette Benning in the report. Mm -hmm. we, we haven't talked about her much. She's probably not going to get nominated, but... God, really, I would love to hear her speech, though. Yeah, she's right? and she's really terrific as... Uh, I feel like she would have the best speech. She probably would. Yeah, which is a whole other prediction category yeah. for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, who should who will be slurriest, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll have the best slash drunkenest speech. Yeah. So yeah. it's a really strong category, but I would say J-Lo ticks all of the boxes this time. Okay. Um, Mary, do you want to go next? Or do you want me to go next? Um, I can go. Go for it. I'll Let's do... talk, but you're going to talk about leading actresses. Leading right? actresses, yes. So um, I guess to begin with musical or comedy, um, Aquafina nominated for The Farewell. First of all, I love that movie. I love her in it. You but saw that at Sundance, right? I saw it. I was at the premiere yes, at Sundance. Yes, you were and so I, excited. And was there at the beginning. You were like I was the first <laughs> fan of Farewell I know, I know. And, and she also profiled her for our Entertainer of the Year cover. Yes, so I really am all in on The Farewell. But... Not a comedy. In fact, the, the story, the, story, <laughs> the entertainer is years. Misfile. Okay, so we <laughs> have a little bit of category for us. Yes. Bureaucratic I mean, problems. Literally, the the gist of my Aquafina story was like, oh, look at her doing drama, drama for the first time. <laughs> so I think she likely will win that category because it's sort of the awardsiest performance in it. But maybe should not on a technical yeah maybe qualification. Yeah, even I would I would be thrilled to She's see her in the, in the drama movie. category. Yeah, yeah. like I, I, I want her to be clear. Win. Like I want her to be nominated for everything. Yes. Sure. But comedy. Question okay, so. so that's the sh will win, should win. I don't. It's a. It's a. It's a sort of. It's a weird category. It's a weird category, but you know, I'll say Beanie Feldstein. Okay. I love that. loved Booksmart. Loved her in it. She, she is great. so good in that so movie. So good. Yeah, so funny. Like in that way that it's hard. Like you cannot imagine anyone else doing that role. Exactly. Totally right. yeah. I thought when I, I saw that movie at pretty like at South by Southwest, and I kept trying to make jokes to other people, but like I kept trying to take pieces of dialogue and joke about it, and then I'd be like, oh, no one's seen this yet. They don't know what I'm uh, talking about. And I was so glad when finally people started to, so I was like, oh, now you finally understand that I'm trying to make a Beanie Feldstein joke. Yeah. 
if they give it to Kate Blanchett for Where to Go Bernadette, I will I will not This stop category, <laughs> this was the weird one, right? Like it just seemed I don't know, was there anyone else in there, Mary, who you thought is like the runner up here? Is I don't I mean the thing about Kate Blanchett, I mean, where'd you go, Bernadette? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Like, Where did you go? I saw a lot but of people watching it on a plane recently. I, it just came to it came out on the went. airline. Went, that's where <laughs> it went. To it went to Delta. Exactly. You can watch it there. But I mean, she's a huge star. She's probably the biggest she's star the biggest in star it. In category. But um, I loved Anna Darmas and Knives Out. I thought she was like really strong. Mm -hmm. But also, I I don't know that I would say it is at the level that I would yeah. be like, yes, this is definitely an award contention. Yeah, yeah I feel that way performance. too. It was great. She was mm -hmm. really, and I think gave a lot of heart to that film, obviously, but doesn't seem, yeah. Yeah, so it's a weird one. Yeah. But, Let's go okay. to the real drama. Okay, okay. <laughs> right, where? <laughs> That's where Mary's most happy. <laughs> um, drama, drama. Gosh, where? Okay, um, so this It'll go to Renee Zellweger, right? I mean, that's, I mean, yes. That's yes. who will. That's win. who will win. Yeah. Um, I don't, Do you think she should? Is there someone who, in your heart, you hope? I mean, I just Little Women. I wish I could give it every award, and so I, I would be thrilled to see Saoirse Ronan take. And this she's one. underrated in this movie. I, I mean, I think she's so great in this movie. Yeah. And I'll be honest. I all like. Okay, I've read the book so many times since I was in the third grade. I love it so much. I've seen all the adaptations. I always thought Joe was sort of annoying. Like, I think she can be <laughs> she's so annoying. Lot. She's, she's a lot. Like, get over yourself, yeah. please. But um, not when, not in this one. Not I really thought that, yeah. So. Yeah, there's a lot of heart in the way she plays her and also just a lot of ferocity. I feel like, and I feel like Joe is one of those characters that people love, like, smart girls love, right? Because it's like, yeah. there's our Joe. Like, the, she's our girl. And, like, she has that frustration, but she is kind of annoying, and you're sort of like, I don't want to be quite that Joe. <laughs> the way, right? But then yes. the way that Shersha plays her, instead, she felt so relevant and yeah. so modern and so, but not, you know, anachronistically, right. just... Not just this, just, like, I'm feisty. No, yeah, exactly. it was That's, like, no, she's, like, bursting with desire to accomplish things and be taken seriously and be heard yeah. in a way that was so striking and I think a different note in that performance that really rung true than in earlier adaptations. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. But I also, <clears throat> I think it's easy for people to even discount her because they're like, well, it's Little Women, of course people are going to love it. But I really think she's deserving of recognition for having done Agreed. more than what a person might. Every scene... I mean, she's in almost every scene. There's like a handful without her, right, that Florence mm -hmm. Pugh does an amazing job in, but like every scene that she's in is so crackling and just like mm -hmm. great. Alive, it, really. Yes, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Shana, we need yours now. Okay, <sighs> I said I'd do a leading actors. Yes. Um, for music and a comedy, speaking of like everyone here being comfortable with who they are fans of, obviously <laughs> I would really love to see Taryn Edgerton with yes. us. Oh, are you a um, fan? I am. Do you like Rockman? I know, right? Oh, I, I wasn't sure you were aware. <laughs> yep. uh, I think his performance is outstanding. Yeah. I, I think it was, um, and you know, not to say that there was like no hint of this from earlier work he had done, but this is like a leap forward yeah. and something that he's been so committed to. The performance is amazing. The singing is outstanding. And and the depth of it is it's great. So obviously, 
I think Taryn should win. I, 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 and I would say second in my heart in this category would be Eddie Murphy, mm, yeah. who is just so delightful. Yeah. And so, and I am not, I am nowhere near like the level of Eddie Murphy fan <laughs> overall in my yeah. life. Like I like him. I, I've liked, I've certainly, I grew up in the 80s, like I, but he's great. But I think this is probably Leo's to lose. Um, again, mm. because of that star factor, perhaps? I feel like this is maybe the toughest to predict. I honestly don't. You don't know. I feel like any of those three that you mentioned yeah. could yeah. win it. And because we are talking about a very small group of voters, and I will say that like when I sat down and talked to Taryn a couple of months ago, like he has been campaigning. Yeah. Like he, Elton John, all of them. I mean, mo like he has not filmed another big project this year. Like this is what he seems to be this doing. Is his and yeah. and I think there. What I love about that is I think it is. Um, I feel like there's almost this like gift of the Magi situation happening where it's like Elton John is so determined that Taryn should win this and Taryn seems so determined that this should be an honor to like help preserve Elton's legacy that it's like very sweet and they're both seeing like who can throw more parties for the HFPA to accomplish that. <laughs> so I- It could pay off because this group has been known to yeah, I direction. wouldn't say that it was like not deserved as a performance, but also I think heavy campaigning here. We know we know who we're dealing with here. Yeah, um, for leading actor in a drama, I think Adam Driver will win this. Yes, um, but I and and I and I'm not. I'm also not mad at that. Like I, I, I everyone, so like much. I'm the person who did not care about Marriage Story in this office, and I'm like the true outlier. But <laughs> I don't understand. I, don't understand but it. I could watch him. You know singing Sondheim like literally all day and that would also see I just want everything at the Golden Globe if yes. he, I know. Sing, <laughs> he could get on stage and perform that then they should just give it to him um, but I, know. I, I feel like Adam Driver would just be like, like <laughs> <laughs> not happening but I want to say we talked about this a little bit last week I, I want to put a, like a little bit of a, a piece of love out there for Antonio Banderas because that performance was was gorgeous and like heartfelt and I think in that way that sometimes these awards really are a reflection of past performances the work that he and Pedro have done together I feel like this is an amazing moment to be able to honor that and I, I really I really want to see that film again I kind of can't stop thinking about how like what a perfect moment it is to think about a filmmaker at that point in his life and the sort of like honor and respect also in a similar way that he pays to this person yeah. who he has clearly been amused to himself, but this mm -hmm. relationship between them as actor and director is captured on like such a sort of meta set of levels yeah. in that film where it's like a thank you, but also like I will thank you by bringing such depth and complexity and moments you don't like this person and and I yeah. think that is worthy of being recognized and I'm happy to totally see him in these. Yeah, I think you are discounting Joaquin Phoenix, sadly. I think he's uh, a very strong competitor here. I was trying not to even think about it. Mm. <laughs> I forgot until you said uh, that. I was same. Like, oh. Same. I, I'm, I, 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 hmm. We'll see. I mean, actually, yeah. it snuck into director, which... They love this movie. And I, I love Antonio Banderas and Pain and Glory, um, so I totally agree with you there. But in terms of who will win, I, I have a sneaking you sense of dread. You think Adam Driver. I think it will be Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. We'll see. I hope not. I, I don't mean to be. I like, don't think I, anyone I, in I am, this room. I also hope not. Yeah, I, it's not our fave. Um, <laughs> and I don't think among this group, I I think there is interesting work that was done in that performance, but I don't think it is more artful or more compelling in the long run than the other guys who we're talking about. I agree. Okay, so those those are our big takes on the 
on the Golden Globes. Um, it is the, the end of the year, other than the ones we've just talked about. Let's talk about our favorite things for a moment. What were your other favorite movies or performances of the year in the Julie Andrews favorite <laughs> things sense of the word, even if they are not awards contenders at all? Who has some other, like here's your chance to shout out those other like close to your heart um, pieces mm -hmm. you're still holding on to. I think my favorite movie of the year is probably Parasite. Mm. Um, um. It's one of those movies that I've seen a few times and you discover new things every time you watch it, but it's also the first time I watch it, I watched it. It's just this sense of discovery. Every moment is so unexpected and sort of like perversely beautiful or extremely funny or heartbreaking. Um, I just never really seen anything like it before and the, the performances are remarkable and it's also really chaotic but really controlled. Uh, yeah, that would probably rank there. And I actually think my favorite performance of the year is Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory. Mm. And it's exactly for because of what you said. It It's so rooted in decades of history mm -hmm. between these two men. And Antonio Banderas just giving everything I feel like that he could give to this part, which is sort of an alter ego of Pedro Moldovar. And I mean, like even just the way he like kisses a dude, I'm like, wow, <laughs> you yeah. went for this. It was, it just felt real. It just felt real and passionate. Yeah. And I just, I was really moved by seeing him so, so deep into that part. Uh, so yeah, that's, those are my faves of the year. Your faves of the year, Mary. Um, other than the things we've talked about, um, I loved the souvenir, Joanna. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So I just thought it was, so exquisite, and um, Honor Swinton Byrne, Tilda Swinton's daughter, sort of made her grand debut, and um, she was extraordinary. Yeah. In it, I thought I don't I don't think it was very widely seen. It was a it was Sundance very, hit. It was though. a Sundance hit, very art housey. I feel like very the acclaimed. release, yeah, and it was a twenty four. So mm -hmm. they don't make mistakes. I don't think they make <laughs> mistakes. Like <clears throat> all the way back to Spring Breakers, they just don't. So um, <clears throat> that's when I wish more had happened around it mm -hmm. throughout the year. But I do think the people who saw it loved yeah, it. Yeah, so. definitely. Um, and then my favorite performance of the year? Yikes. I mean, I might have to say Saoirse Ronan. I really mm. might, because that's probably my favorite movie of the year. And she just gave it such a heart, mm. which um, it, it, it could not possibly have succeeded without her being so good. Totally and, agree. Um, I just I thought she was yeah. perfect in it. Okay, I feel like I, I, this is what I always do. I'm like, come tell me these things and then I don't fully prepare. Um, <laughs> other than things that we have talked about already, I, I would give, actually I would say a shout back to a film that still hasn't really been fully released that I saw at TIFF, The Sound of Metal oh, yeah. with Riz Ahmed, oh. um, which is just extraordinary. Um, like of all the films I've seen this year, which is more than I think any other year possibly of my life, but certainly in recent times, mm -hmm. Um, that film just really got under my skin in like a beautiful way. Like I felt uplifted by it. I felt like it's a, it's so smart. It's what it has to say about recovery is incredibly complex. What it has to say about love and, and community. Um, it was picked up, I believe by Amazon. Yes. So I'm, I'm hoping that this is going to get a good release. I just want people to see it. It's like one of those things where I'm just like, I just want other people to, talk to about see it this people, film. Yeah. I just want them to, I just, I don't even need to talk to people about it. <laughs> I just want other people to get to have that experience yeah. of seeing like a truly great, beautiful piece of independent cinema that is performed well and well-crafted and 
has something new to say. It's about yeah. his his character is a heavy metal drummer who unexpectedly and quite swiftly loses his hearing and has to yeah. consider how he wants to adapt or confront this in his life. And it, it's just, it's beautiful. Oh my gosh, that reminds me of, I should have said this earlier, of my favorite performances, Elizabeth Moss and her smell. Oh yeah. Wild. Like, Wild. Why, why, was, why aren't we talking about that more right now? Why isn't she not? She actually had quite everything? a year and yeah. she hasn't been talked about a lot. Yeah. She's really good in that movie. That, it's, Insane. Yeah. She's incredible in it. I, I like, knew it was going to be intense. I knew it was going to be a lot. And then I saw it and I was just blown away by her. There's this um, sort of punk rocker on a mm -hmm. downward spiral. Mm -hmm. um, but you were talking about addiction and recovery. And it made yeah. me think of Yeah. So. And my other, my other shout out I'll say, which I've talked about before, is I would just, again, I was happy to see Jojo Rabbit start to come back into this awards mm -hmm. conversation. Because I think from just a level of feeling grateful that a film was made, if that's how we're thinking yeah. about favorites or how I might think of it. Nice it was like, that, you know, like Taika could have done it, like he made giant Marvel movies and he has done lots of other weird things that he wanted to do. But this was a film that really says something and I think it says something important about what all of us are obligated and capable of doing um, mm -hmm. in, a, in a politically fraught moment to confront fascism. And that is not like a little thing to sort of take on with a movie that's also very funny and yeah. also very uplifting. And I would say on my, my list of favorites, that seems like something that should be on that list too. Lovely. All right. Briefly, let's talk about when movies come out in this like very end of the year, right. very end of the year moment, like the very last gasp of eligibility, <laughs> but also sometimes strategically because it's commercial. I mean, it makes sense to me that Little Women is a Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. Totally is the kind of thing you go see with your family at Christmas and please go see it at Christmas. If, or if you haven't seen it yet this week after Christmas, go see it. Um, but can a Christmas release or a very late December release that does well commercially turn the tide for a movie's Oscar hopes, David? Sometimes. Um... The sort of infamous example was a few years ago with Clint Eastwood's American Sniper, which I think the reviews were not that good for it, and people sort of, not disregarded as an awards movie, but didn't think it would be the powerhouse that it was, and it just became this box office phenomenon, and it had remarkable legs, and it ended up being one of the most nominated films of that year. Clint Eastwood was nominated for Best Director. I did not care for that movie, so I was not thrilled about it, and it was sort of at the expense of another late break or Selma, which we talked about mm -hmm. a little bit about last week. Um, on a more positive note, Hidden Figures, mm -hmm. which was this very lovely, um, but very broad mm -hmm. historical drama uh, with Raji P. Henson and Octavia Spencer and Janelle Monae, and it ended up doing very well at the Oscars and was another really big hit. Mm -hmm. I think people really rallied behind it as this mm -hmm. sort of it was an important movie that year. It was also the year of Moonlight, and it seemed like it was kind of a little bit of a groundbreaking year for cinema in terms of representation. So mm -hmm. also the same year as Fences. Oh, you and could Fences. Forget yeah, Fences. Yeah, that. Mm -hmm. Oh, hidden yeah, fences. Hidden fences. Yeah. Hidden fences. Yeah. Um, a couple weeks ago, when our colleague Sarah Rodman joined us, she made a compelling argument that Star Wars um, right. could potentially have a sort of late-breaking, like, like mix of both nostalgia and recognition if it is great. I was really intrigued by her. She made such a great argument for yeah. that. I was like, I hadn't thought about that at all, and she came yeah. in with this, like fully baked argument that like people love Star Wars. This is the last Star Wars. Yeah. If it has that Black Panther-esque sort of like 
quality of like this transcends not that you like you have to transcend a genre but transcends like for the idea of what it do, but for awards you, know. you do like that suddenly people would be like oh my god what can we do that's not just on the technical side but like actually recognizes it um yeah. i don't think there's much question that it will obviously be a box from a box office perspective it will be successful. successful yeah <laughs> it'll make um, money we are, we will admit taping this early, so none of us has seen it yet, but uh, very interested to see what happens with that. I would argue, in addition to Little Women this year, 1917, mm-hmm. and not that like 1917 isn't in a very well, like a strong position going into awards, but like, and, and not to reduce things to this, but like, I would take my stepdad to see 1917 on, you know, like on, like right then. And I think that there will be, I think it will do well at the box office. And I think it will have an even more, even beyond the sort of like initial buzz around it from a critical perspective. I'm curious to see, I feel like this one could kind of tip over into that saving private Ryan. Like everyone sees it also because it's not long. Actually, it's like a very tight, like hour 50 or something it's kind of film. It's very, I mean, under so, two hours. So it doesn't feel like uh, something you have to like brace yourself to see. Okay. Um, and I think the word of mouth on that is going to be strong too. Yeah. I'm I curious. mean, it does occupy that American sniper slot in, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, we talked about little women struggling to gain traction early on. Um, and even 1917 to an extent has not done as well as some thought it would in plays like Sag and the Globe, like none of the actors have been recognized. Um, so it's the same situation where if that and Little Women can break out, the reviews for both are very strong. They could really be even bigger Oscar players than we thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to see. I, yeah. mean, I just think it's not you know it's not over till it's over. Yeah. So things can change until the last second. Absolutely. I like I can't get over J Lo is performing in the Super Bowl four days before Oscar. <laughs> Like, that is wild. Like, she knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah, (laughs) yes. More than I think we've, like, just conceded that, like, Shayla knows more about almost everything than all of us. Yeah. (laughs) About anything. Shayla might just know she's winning the Oscar. She's like, like, sure, I'll come. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) What will she wear? I'm so excited. I cannot tell you how excited I am. See, this is the movie star of it all. All right, the Golden Globes, January 5th, Sunday. It's going to be a lot yes. in one regard or the other. There will be complete coverage on EW.com um, that night from the red carpet to the after parties, all of the awards, the speeches, all of that. Um, Mary will be furiously um, writing hot takes a- about everything from what people are wearing to what they have said. Um, so you can join us for that. Let's talk about Greta Gerwig. I mean, let's not talk too much about Greta Gerwig because we're going to hear let's from let Greta, Greta Gerwig. Gerwig. Let's let Greta yes. Gerwig speak for herself. Speak for herself. <laughs> Mary, you and David spoke to her together. Yes. And how, how did you, you've survived because you're here. <laughs> but, I mean, I, have, I haven't interviewed her, but I've found her at Q&As and other things I thought to be such a compelling, um, yeah. just like oh, yeah. thoughtful, but also like lively. Um, yeah, so smart. So yeah. engaged with the conversation. Yeah. Like, I, I thought everything she said really shed new light on the movie for me. Yeah, I, I, yeah. She just everything is so thoughtful in yeah. that movie, and the way she speaks about it uh, opens your eyes to new things in that movie that she's doing. That because you kind of get swept up by it in a lot of ways, but every frame is really carefully put together. Mm. Here is E.W. talking to Greta Gerwig. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to EW's The Awardist. I'm David Canfield and I'm joined by my colleague Mary Solosi. Hello, Mary. Hello. And today our guest is Greta Gerwig, writer-director of Little Women, who we're very excited to talk to. Hi, Greta. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to start this by asking you about the past month. Uh, I remember back in October, there was sort of a week where you guys started screening Little Women mm-hmm. and you were doing all these Q&As and yeah. the industry was coming out, the press was coming out. What was that experience like for you to finally, after you'd worked on it for so long, <laughs> have it out there? Terrifying. It was terrifying. It continues to be terrifying. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's also really exciting, but that moment when... I mean, I've wanted to make this movie actively for five years, but cumulatively for 30 years. (laughs) And it's been something that's really been growing inside of me and something that I've, you know, put a lot of my heart into in that first week of or two or month of just showing it when you're just starting to screen it. It's like your heart's in your throat every single time. So... But also then very exciting because you get to to actually share it with people. But um, yeah, I mean, really, really nerve-wracking. So why was this the movie you had to make after Lady Bird? Well, actually, I wrote the script for this before I made Lady Bird. So I wrote the script for this and then, or wrote a few drafts of it, and then I went away and I made Lady Bird. And then by the time Lady Bird came out, then they came back around and said, would you like to direct this? Which is what I had always wanted to do and always planned on doing, even though they didn't know that. Um, so I it wasn't even, I didn't even really have to think about it. It was the thing that was in my tank. It was the thing that was ready to go. It was the thing that I had been um, making in my mind already. And the way I write is always with an eye to direct. It's always thinking about how I would direct it. It's always the blueprint for me to direct it. So. Um, it wasn't a, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't feel like a choice. It felt like, uh, as soon as I knew it was possible, it was inevitable because it was something I'd wanted for so long. Yeah. I got to interview Amy Pascal about sort of your pitch that you made to her <laughs> and you said, I think yeah. her word was like that you were the only one who could make this movie that you had written. Walk me through how you, I guess, fought to get that part, that job and and how you knew you were the right person to direct this movie well i i grown up with this book um it was it was it was it was one of the, the formative books of my childhood it i did the thing with this book that i think children can do with literature which is take it completely into your own interior landscape so that almost the characters become as real to you as people you know and the things that happen to them feel like your memories. So I had completely merged with the book in some ways and particularly with the character of Joe March. And I don't know if I wanted to be a writer because Joe was a writer or if Joe was a writer which made me want to be a writer. It's so intertwined in that way. and. 
And then I, I, ha- I hadn't read the book, though, since I had been, I think probably the last time I read it was like when I was 14 or 15, and I hadn't looked at it again, and then I, I read it again in my early 30s. And um, I was totally shocked by how modern it was. I was mm-hmm. shocked by how many of the themes seemed to be written in neon about... Uh, ambition and women and money and art and those mm. things to me seemed like wait do people know this is in this book <laughs> I mean even certain things like Amy's line I want to be great or nothing or Marmy saying I'm angry almost every single day of my life I thought was that there before <laughs> or did I just not see it and then I started thinking about Louisa May Alcott and I went into her life and what who she was and what she did and I realized that the thing I had loved and responded to as a girl, this character of Joe, what I was really feeling behind it was the person of Louisa May Alcott. That mm. that was something that I had intuited because in the book, Joe stops writing, gets married, and has children. And that's not what I wanted. <laughs> but in some, on some level I knew, but the book exists. And this woman, whoever she was, Louise May Alcott wrote it. And then as I was researching her life, and I find, oh, Louise May Alcott never got married, never had children, kept writing, kept the copyright, and became one of the richest women in America because she was a badass and <laughs> she was a great writer. And I was like, oh, that's the person you've always loved. So I was, I was in the midst of that conversation, and then I heard from my agent that Sony, Amy, Robin uh, Swicord, and um, Denise Denovi, they were all interested in making it again because it had been 25 years. And... Um, I said, oh my God, I have an idea. I have to go talk to them. <laughs> and because I hadn't made Ladybird yet, I wasn't on anyone's radar to, to do something like this. But I went in and, and told them why I had to do it and what I thought it was about and how I wanted to make it. And um, they, lo and behold, said, okay, go write the script. <laughs> um, and then it, But it wasn't until after I made Ladybird that they said, oh, you can direct it. But... Um, it was funny because it was directly mirrored by Saoirse Ronan actually told me she was going to play Joe. She yeah. was. She said, I know you're working on it, and I'll play Joe. I want to play Joe. And I said, that sounds like a very Joe March thing to say. <laughs> Sold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I love that, what you say about connecting with Louise Malcott herself so much, and I think... I mean, you're a female artist, and she's a female author, and Joe's a female author. And then I think the book itself also on a grander scale is about, about female authorship, but for all of them having authorship over their lives. And yeah. I felt like the movie really brought that out. Thank you. And was, was, that, was that a thread that you particularly wanted to pick up on? Yes, definitely. I mean, the, the sort of uh, finding the author all the way through, it was what I was trying to do with each of the characters. And to take them very seriously in their pursuits. Um, I mean, Beth, for example, the, I didn't just want her to be quietly and politely playing hymns in the corner on the piano. I wanted her to go over to Mr. Lawrence's house and play Bach and play Schumann. And then you, then you suddenly have this moment when you're like, oh, holy crap, she is just as ambitious as the rest of them that fate went in a certain direction for her, but that's not inevitably who she was going to be. She has just as much chutzpah as any of them. So like that, that was part of it. And um, 
finding meaning and ownership in all of these different stories was 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 what I was looking for and someone said and I forget who said it but um the very famous Joe Joe turning Laurie down which mm-hmm. everyone for all of time thinks why yeah. um a writer said and I wish I could remember which writer but you gather all this research and then you're not sure who said what but I uh, said Joe's turning Laurie down was evidence of a woman making a choice even if it's a choice that everyone didn't like including mm. the readers and I think that that choice making whether it's Meg getting married and having children whether it's Amy going after money whether mm. it's Beth accepting her fate whether it's Joe becoming a writer that choice that being an agent in your own life is so uh rare in in fiction of that time and i think enabled women to see themselves as not not beings that are acted upon but actors themselves in their own lives mm-hmm. and i wanted to bring that out mm-hmm. you mentioned amy's great line i want to be great or nothing and a lot of what people have focused on i think mm-hmm. in advanced reaction is adaptation is Florence Pugh's performance and the she's way great. and she's amazing <laughs> and and the way that the movies sort of gives Amy a little bit more yeah. of a spotlight a little bit more of a voice because yeah. the other part of that Joe turning down Laurie narrative yes. is yeah. why did he end up with Amy right so for you why was it important to bring Amy forward in that way and to, and to reframe that narrative a little bit well for me Amy is um completely an unsung hero. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and I find her to be just as compelling as Joe. and I think that um, to relegate her as someone who's just silly or superficial is not to really understand who Amy is. Mm-hmm. And I find some of the things that she said in the book to be moments that are in neon for me. That one, there's another, there's, there's moments I didn't have time to put in the film. But I tried to get the essence of them out, which is, um, she has another line. She says, I don't pretend to be wise, but I am observant. Hmm. You're like, holy shit. (laughs) Um, uh, Another line being, um, the world is hard on ambitious girls. The world is still hard on ambitious girls. Her ability to see the constraints of the world she lived in and find workarounds is what makes her so delicious to me. That she's going to win. She has no intention of not, you know, figuring this out. But that, unlike Joe, who's so idealistic that she wishes wishes the world was different than it is, she says, "I can't change the world today. But what I can do is figure out how to work it or work around it and get myself in a place where I can give it back to other women." Which she does with Lori. There's this great section in the book where they're they're walking through the grounds of their house, their mansion, talking about what they're going to do with all their money, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's like kind of hilarious. But that's when she says the world's hard on ambitious girls, and she wants to start a, a school where they can go, like an art school, and she wants to sponsor women who want to be artists. And you're like, when you read that, you're like, that is in a way a part of Louisa May Alcott speaking through Amy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I also think, you know, as a child, because she's naughty and she's this foil for Joe, she's also delicious. Um, and 
the final thing I'll say about her is she speaks all of the desires she has. Mm -hmm. She says, I want to be great. I want to be rich. I want to be beautiful. I want everyone to love me. Like she's so good at saying what she wants. And I think so much of, you know, women have a lot of guilt about saying what they want. And she just owns all the things that she would like to be is just marvelous. Um, and there's a do I have another I mean I could go on about Amy, but there's another great passage when they're young when they're young, um, where um Beth <laughs> Beth has received compliments because Beth is, you know, really kind and really wonderful and and um and she's this great pianist and, and everybody's talking about, you know, and she's so modest and and Amy's kind of taking it all in and <laughs> she's like, I see. It's nice to have talents, but it's not nice to tell people that you have them. <laughs> but like she, she's basically able to kind of like externalize um, the id or some yeah, untamed totally. part of yourself, and and so she she decides that she's going to be humble, but not because that's how she feels, but because that's what people like, <laughs> and that's just so great. You feel like go you, go you, you little bossy girl. <laughs> I wanted to ask about rearranging the timeline. Yeah, it's sort of it sort of gave new weight to their adult lives. I feel like so totally. often we think of like them as girls and it's Christmas and yeah. Pilgrim's Progress and the adult lives is just that's how they ended up. But, right. But um, I, I found it really powerful rearranging mm -hmm. it that way. And so how did you how did you sort of find that approach to it? When I read it as an adult, I also was very interested in who they were as adults. And, and I equally felt that the kind of iconography of little women writ large, not just the text of the book, but in general, what our collective memory of little women is, is that Christmas Pilgrim's right. Progress, all of those famous lines, that coziness. And all of a sudden reading the book as an adult and then feeling through them as women in their 20s, approaching 30, you know, what, what they're making their choices, they're, they're living their lives, they're getting married, they're having kids, they're giving up art, they're pursuing art, they're sick, like all of these different things. I suddenly was like, this is so fascinating that this is what became of this, you know, this thing that was so idyllic. And I was doubly moved by the fact that once they're in their separate lives, once Amy's in Europe and Meg is married with kids and Beth is in their childhood home but alone and sick and, and, and Joe is in New York trying to t tell, sell stories, that they are never all together again. Never. Mm -hmm. she, Amy never makes it back. The four of them are never together again. So the thing that they miss and the thing that we all miss is already gone. Hmm. Which just, when I realized that, I was like, oh my God, no. <laughs> they didn't get it back. And, the, and the, the task somehow of womanhood, of adulthood, is how to have that closeness and that bravery and that thing that the female utopia of girlhood gave you and move forward with that inside of you given that it's not there in the world anymore. And I think that that was... Grounding the movie in their adulthood allowed me to give this yearning around childhood 
that uh, that the the audience would feel about childhood the way that the that the women feel about childhood, which is that where did it go? And that was very moving to me, and it also allowed me to more closely follow this line of authorship of Joe as writer, as Louisa May Alcott as Joe as writer, <laughs> and and this distance between. Is that what happened, or is that how you remember it, or is that what happened, or is that how you wrote it? Hmm. And obviously, that through line comes to a sort of meta ending, you could say, mm -hmm. in this in this version. Without, I guess, spoiling anything, did you did you struggle to figure out exactly what you wanted to say there, how clear you wanted to make certain things to the audience? I always, I always knew how I wanted to do that ending, <laughs> but. I knew it was going to be a bit of a hat trick yeah. <laughs> to make it work. Um, what was so pleasurable about making the ending, but then also making the whole film, but it, but it, it becomes more explicit, I'd say, in the ending, is um, this quality of the film within the film. Yeah. That I get to make the movie that surrounds the movie. So... When I do a big romantic ending, I get to use all the toys and the tools and the cliches of a big romantic ending. I do a rain machine, I do a camera on a crane, I do a backlit, I do a train station, I do a chase. Yeah. And then I get to say maybe it's not there. But, that, but all of that is so fun to be able to do as a filmmaker. And, you know, when I'm making, when I'm having, like Alexandre who wrote the beautiful score, which is just... Yeah, insane and so like, I mean that score just is uh, anyway I love it so much but when he was writing that piece I was like do it up Let's, <laughs> I, was like, I was like do that I want timpani and I want that cymbal crash and we're gonna put a thunderclap in it like why not yeah. we're gonna go for it and like so being able to like do it because you're drawing attention to the fact that you are doing it right. is very pleasurable. But it was definitely like, I, I didn't really know until I was in the editing room that it was going to work. And then I think pretty soon, um, I work the way I work when I edit is I work straight through the movie so that by the time I was at the end of the movie, I had edited uh, pretty close to where I wanted it to be. And um, for the first, you know, three quarters of it and then I got to that point and then I thought I think it's gonna work <laughs> um, but you just you're kind of holding your breath to yeah. the end and then you're like oh well I guess to, I think maybe it worked it worked on me and then, totally moving yeah. uh, thank you yeah. thanks I mean there's that that's the big huge romantic dramatic yeah, yeah, part but yeah. I think also talking about grounding it in their adult lives. Mm. I found it much more romantic than how we've experienced yeah. it before. Even like yeah. Amy and Lori felt romantic and not like, yeah. oh, that's how they fixed that. And yeah. like, oh, Professor Bear, I loved him as like this kind of dreamboat instead oh, is, of like a yeah. weird like like middle-aged, right. I don't know. I was like, and someone was like, oh, it's because it's Louis Garrel who's so very handsome. Yes. And they were like, well, that's not who Professor Bear is, and I was like, it's the movie. I'm allowed to do whatever I want. And, and I'm making this for me. And he is super beautiful. Um, but, I mean, that's like, you know, part of it. And But I, you know, it's interesting. I also feel that, you know, 
the, the, from the first shot of Amy and Laurie, that the, 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 you see Laurie through Amy's eyes is the first time you see Laurie. You see him walking on the promenade in Paris. And, um, and then it is like, Bo, it's like the Bo Derek from the Ten shot. It's like slow <laughs> it's like coming out of an ocean because like that's how I think of Timmy. It's like walking in slow mo on a Parisian promenade. And it was so funny because it, it, there was a there was a very early screening. We showed some girls, t- some teen girls, and um, I remember when that happened, they all went, "Oh!" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, girls, like that's like." But I like making the male character, the object of the female gaze through mm-hmm. Amy is mm-hmm. that like, yeah. that's her tasty treat. She loves <laughs> so much. And I feel like I wanted to photograph Timmy like he was a beautiful woman. Yeah. Um, because he is a beautiful yes. woman. Yes, very much. <laughs> um, but I, I also think that another thing and, and something um, in terms of narrative structure that I'm interested in you know, the first scene of the movie is Joe talking to the publisher and he says the thing which, um, I mean, most of the text is just from the book, which is so wonderful about it. It's his, his whole thing, like, uh, people want to be amused, not preached at. Mm-hmm. Morals don't sell nowadays. That's, that's from the book and it's super great. But I added the, the line, um, you know, if the main character is a girl, make sure she's married or dead by the end, because that is... That's like the story of every woman in fiction, right. married or dead. We don't want them alive and single because <laughs> no, no one knows what they'll do. Um, but I wanted to sort of set up at the very beginning this idea of talking about what are the tropes of storytelling and and what are the tropes of storytelling, particularly about women, and mm-hmm. what do we what do we expect from these characters, and what do we what do we need them to get in order for us to feel satisfied. But one thing I, I've always felt is um, the logic of movies is you always believe the thing you saw first when it comes to love. So if you see Joe with Friedrich first, and then you see Amy with Laurie first, on yeah. some level, you believe that that's how it should be because you saw it first. It's like, it's like, it's like, uh, what are it's like, I see it, I call it, what do, what do the kids do? They're like, um, for, uh, you know, like some, there's like, it's not, um, it's not samesies, but it's something like samesies. It's like, like I called it, like I saw it first. Ah, okay. um, and I think that an audience on some level, and I'm the same way, I'm not standing outside of this in judgment of it, I'm the same way. You see the one thing and then you're like, well, I don't care who this other guy is. I've already spent so much time with this right. guy. What's this other man? Um, so I think a lot of what I was doing was engaging with that idea of how we tell stories in cinema, what our expectations are, and how we construct meaning. Hmm. Well, before we wrap, I wanted to ask you about the Governor's Awards. I got to go and see oh. your beautiful speech <laughs> oh, you. uh, commemorating uh, Lena Vertmuller yeah. and yeah. Yeah. her honorary Oscar. And it felt like there's just so much history in that moment. You're standing up there with Jane oh Campion. God, I know, I know. And, oh, and you don't even know what was happening backstage. Oh, what was happening? <laughs> Wait, okay, we'll go there. <laughs> I, I like 
right before we walked on, I watched like Isabella Rossellini and like Sophia Loren like hold each other. And I was sort of yes. like, oh my God, what's happening? Um, so anyway, it was incredible. Everything about that night was amazing. Yeah, it, was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And you know, there's that moment obviously when three of the very few female best right. directing nominees are, are standing on the stage together. 60% of them. 60% of them. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Over that's half so the majority. I never actually <laughs> thought of it that way, but that's true. That's yeah. really, over half. The yes. majority. And and obviously with Little Women as well, we're on the 25th anniversary of the 94 mm. film mm. and the 100, 151st. 50th. 25th. You know, doesn't it sound nicer if it was just 150? Yes. I'll say that. I'll say that. You know, the story you tell is the one that's true. Yes. Yeah, that's Listeners, 150. Yeah. Um, in this moment right now, yeah. surrounded by a lot of that, what, what is the feeling for you? Wait, sorry. Is 150 sesquicentennial? I think, I, I think so. so. Oh, not my, my strongs. Okay, because that's I've always wanted to have a sesquicentennial something because that's in um I don't know if you remember the movie Waiting for Guffman. I do. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> the town sesquicentennial celebration. It explains sesquicentennial celebration. Oh my yes. god! Guffman's coming to see it. We're having that today. We will okay, we'll call so, it. Okay, it's a sesquicentennial. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Anyway, yes. Yeah, sorry. Say that last part again. But just the sort of the feeling of this the history surrounding yeah. this moment for you in so many ways uh, yeah I mean it, 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 yes it's it's uh, it's it is not it's not lost on me what this moment um, is and 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 there were so many strange coincidences while we were making the film as well um, I mean when Little Women was published Louise May Alcott was 36 and I'm 36 and there felt like this strange cosmic connection. And while we were in the rehearsal period, um, Patti Smith published an essay in the Paris Review about what Little Women had meant to her mm. and why it was so important. And I, I, I mean, I love Patti Smith, Patti Smith, goddess. Yes. And then she'd written this, this, this piece, and it was so perfect because it was exactly the thing that I wanted to speak to, which is... We love Joe March, not because she marries Professor Bear, but because she was a big, ambitious writer. And that's, that is why Patti Smith loves her. That's why I love her. And that for 150 years, all these different kinds of women have pointed at this book. Everyone from, like, Elena Ferrante, who wrote the Neapolitan Neapolitan Quartet. Quartet, Of course. This was, that, this, Little Women's all over the Neapolitan Quartet. I, when I read that in, the book, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. But of course, of course, that was her book. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. Also, never mind that the Neapolitan Quartet says everything I've ever wanted to say about women and friendships. <laughs> I kind of finished them and I was like, well, I guess she said it. I don't know that I need to make anything. But I loved it. Anyway, but I feel like I feel such an enormous debt of gratitude to to Louisa May Alcott, to Lena Vertmuller, to Jane Campion, mm-hmm. to uh, all these women who, you know, Agnes Varda, who I was there when yes. she got her honorary Oscar, and these kind of godmothers who've come before us, and now I feel like the people I care about, I care about women of all ages watching, watching this, hopefully, and being inspired, but also I'm really excited for the girls who are like 10 right now, because they are going to hopefully get, inherit all of this and be able to keep exp- 
exploding it more. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's all very um, cumulative and very moving and very, um, it, 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 it feels faded mm. in, in, a, in a very kind of wonderful way. I think so. Uh, well, the film is Little Women, which is one of the best of the year, so please see it if you haven't. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Greta, Thanks. for joining Thank us. You. Thank you. It's really fun. Welcome back. Thank you to Greta for taking the time to talk to Mary, you, and David. Thank you both for taking the time to think about what more to, to ask her and how to kind of tease out all of the things that we all loved so much about Little Women. Truly our pleasure. <laughs> Truly. Um, all right, that's our show, everyone. We've got more great interviews still to come. Um, and now we are really in it. It's, this is a sh the shortest award season in recent memory. We've got like a solid five weeks of breakneck pace, awards after awards after awards, starting at the Golden Globes, ending at the Oscars, but with a number of, of exciting ones in between. Um, thank you, David, as always, for joining me in having seen all these films and having such smart things to say about them. Thank you, and Happy New Year, Shana. Thank you, Happy New Year to you too. And Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, this was so fun. Uh, you guys, you can always find complete awardist coverage at ew.com slash awardist, and in the magazine, you can read Mary's lovely interview with Aquafina in our most recent issue, one of the, our entertainers of the year covers, in addition to a number of these other nominees. Um, come back to ew.com for complete Globes coverage every step of the way. Uh, we'll be back next week as soon as we can get it recorded and out the door talking about what happened at the Golden Globes. Um, that'll come out hopefully on Monday-ish at some point, depending on how long we talk about it, mm -hmm. how shocking it is, whatever it is that's happened. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Rate and comment. Um, Mary, where can people find you on Twitter if they would like to tell you what they think about Little Women? Uh, at Miss Solosi, which I guess is hard to spell. But <laughs> spell it if you can. M-I-S-S-O-L-L-O-S-I. Um, okay, and David? David Canfield, 97. And I'm at Shana Naomi. Uh, thank you, as always, for joining us uh, for The Awardist. This is EW. Mm -hmm.